She's a real woman with a real life. She's someone you can relate to. Dawn Newton. podcast. I am your host, Don Newton. My guest today, I am very honored to be speaking with her again. I'm talking about the multi-award winning author, Sharon G. Flake. I first spoke with Sharon in early 2021. She joined me to talk about her new novel at the time, The Life I'm In. Since that time, The Life I'm In has gone on to become a Young Readers finalist for the 2021 Kirkus Prize. It's one of the most prestigious prizes in the world. It has also been named one of the top 20 teen reads for 2021 by two different organizations. The book, The Life I'm In, tackles a very difficult, sensitive topic human trafficking. And The Life I'm In is about a 14-year-old girl named Char who strays far from home and is trafficked. And so the story follows her as she holds on to hope and makes her way back home. Human trafficking is a $150 billion global enterprise. And often we would rather not discuss it. Yet we as a society, we can't afford the luxury of remaining silent. We really need to put a big old spotlight on this and understand, peel back the layers, define human trafficking. You know, we think maybe it's not happening in our community, you couldn't be more wrong. It's happening everywhere. You just need to learn and become aware of the signs, who's vulnerable, who's the predator, and then what we as a society can do about it. Sharon graciously joins me again to talk about not only the novel, The Life I'm In, becoming a finalist for the Kirkus Prize, but also the difficult and sensitive topic of human trafficking. Sharon G. Flake, it's such a pleasure to talk with you again. First of all, congratulations on becoming a finalist for the 2021 Kirkus Prize Young Readers Finalist. What what a prestigious award. I mean, that's like one of the richest literary awards in the world, not just in a state, community, United States. This is of the world. What an honor. Of the world. Um, it's a $50,000 prize. I didn't get it, <laughs> but I was... I was one of six finalists, so I was truly honored. They read, I think, 10,000 books wow. <laughs> to whittle that thing down. So I felt honored to be one and to have my book also named one of the top 10 uh, books for teens uh, that came out uh, in uh, 21. So, I'm, you know, it's a nice little ride. I'm pumped. Well, you're not a stranger to awards, that's for sure. Coretta Scott King Honor Award, the NAACP Image Award nominee. I mean, it's your your body of work and the awards that you've done because of the body work that you've done that is so meaningful in the content that you provide. I know some of your books, majority of your books are for young adults. When you and I last talked, we were talking about the sister novel to the best-selling The Skin I'm In, and we were talking about the life I'm in. There was a 20-year gap between those two. But my gosh, I right. could not put either one down. Well, thank you. I really consider that an honor when I hear people say that, Dawn, especially teenagers, right? Because we hear so much how they don't like to read, but they will read books that they really find captivating. And so I'm excited to hear that. The Skin I'm In was my first novel. 
It's still my biggest selling novel 20 years later, 23 years later, about a dark-skinned girl that gets picked on because people don't her complexion, how she dresses. And so she has to navigate and figure out how does she like herself, love herself, regardless of what other people have to say. And she's being bullied, as a, as a matter of fact. This year, The Skin I'm In, for the first time, got published in Italian. So I'm hearing it, you know, girls who live in Italy grown adults, guys, women, men, write to me and tell me about the impact of that book on their lives. Malika was being bullied, and Charlize Jones is a bullier. In the life I'm in is Charlize Jones' story, right? So the bully gets to explain, first of all, how does she get into that state to become that person? And we also get to see how friendship and adults who really support you and encourage you, can help to alter your life and your journey, and how anybody, teenager, adult, could be lured into the world of human trafficking. And you write so well, The Life I'm In, about Char, her inner world. And the one thing I know we talked about previously, and and it still resonates with me now, even talking with you again, is, is that whole word bullies and how you wrote and said, you know, bullies don't just appear. They're mean for a reason. And that's something right. I don't know that we always, not we're condoning the behavior, but how did we get there? I mean, we can say that about well, so you, many things. How did we get here? How do we get here? And, you know, I think we don't always like to look at those pieces, Dawn. For me, I do. Even in my everyday life, I want to find out, I want to explore what, helped you become that way? What led you to become that person? Because if we don't, then we can't solve some of our problems. And for Charlize, she's been left down three times in middle school. She, Her parents died, both of them killed, brutally murdered. She lives with her sister who's doing the best she can, but life isn't, you know, going as well as it, it ought to. So when you have those cracks in the the social fabric of a person's life, many things can happen. Human trafficking, for example, which let's back up and just explain a little bit about what that is, where people using force, coercion, or fraud to engage people in labor and commercial sex for profit. Uh, It's a $150 billion business where about 25 million people are pulled into that world. And so many of them are homeless youth. They are black and women and girls are disproportionately represented. But people should not be confused. It is a global problem. It happens on farms. It happens in offices. It happens many times with people we know. Right? It's not always a stranger pulling somebody, you know, out of a car and up the road. And and just to an aside, we should remember that when you are a teen under age, fraud and force and coercion do not have to be used in order for it to be considered human trafficking. Well, the numbers of human trafficking, just doing the research for not only our interview, but January is Human Trafficking Month, Awareness Month. Just the numbers, and it's not just United States, but worldwide. And looking at that, when you do a kind of, you pull back those layers and do a deep dive in human trafficking, the definition, where we see it, how do we recognize it, who's at risk, the predators, the tactics they use. I mean, it's very eye-opening and very disturbing that it's still 
as prevalent, if not more prevalent today. It is more prevalent today than it was 10 years ago, 20 years ago. But I think what you also have is more organizations coming together, right, in different communities and different cities who work with uh, trauma and helping young people sort of gain back their life or even coming out of that world, coming from out of the covers. You also have police and prosecutors and law enforcement, judges, all trying to come together. It it could be better, I will say that, but trying to make it such that it's not just, okay, you're you're a criminal, we're going to lock you up for engaging in this activity when you are, right, the victim. These teenagers are the victim. And so having safe harbor laws and different laws where people are trying to get on the books so you can protect children and also trying to create safety nets so that when people sometimes say, what can I do? When you go to vote and there are opportunities to vote pro-children, pro-organizations that support children and youth and trafficking, that you also put some dollars behind it, put your vote behind it. That's one of those easier ways we can sort of get in the middle of this and, ch- and try to make a difference. There's another thing we forget as adults that teens are still children. Regardless, they hit 18, that's a legal age. But the life experiences and the maturity and the brain development, there's so much there that I think we as adults forget about, that these kids don't have experiences. Well, you're absolutely right. I'm glad you brought that up because I do a lot to try to remind people that Charlize Jones is still a kid. We see her coloring. We see her drawing, right? We see her going to the store with, really, with the predator. And what is she looking for? She's looking for candy, right? So there's all these messages, and especially because she's an African-American girl, we don't always give kids of color sort of the benefit of the doubt that she's young, that she's still a kid no matter what we see those experiences looking like. And if we don't say that they're, they're children or they're young adults, then we might be okay with letting them fall through the cracks of society and letting life just sway and push them and pull them in any direction. And so that's why Charlize really, I wasn't in love with her as the writer in my first book, <laughs> but I absolutely love her. I have people writing to me saying, oh my God, I was cheering for her. I was supporting her because we get to see Char open up and become vulnerable for the first time. We get to hear her story. I'm being put out of this house. It's the only house I've known. I was born in this house. Her calling up Malika, right? It took a lot of courage, right, to call up somebody you haven't talked to in a year or over a year and say, could your mother speak to my sister and maybe convince her not to put me out? And so there begins the story. She's angry at times, but guess what? We have to allow teenagers to be angry sometimes because life hasn't been easy for her. But what we get to see is, my God, she has all these skills, all these talents. She has the capacity to love deeply and be very, very responsible. So we didn't know all these these things about her in the first book. We get to see in the life I'm in that she isn't just being saved and rescued, but she's participating in her own salvation. And one of the big questions that gets asked also is, where is God in our mess? Sometimes when we're dealing with tough, tough subjects like um, trafficking, we think there's no room and space to talk about God and moral issues unless we're being judgmental against people, right? 
who are forced into this way of life. But there's room for that kind of discussion in a book like this, because certainly if you're going through a really hard time and you think your life is at risk, you're going to start asking a lot of us, well, where is God? Why is he letting me down? Why doesn't he show up? Or you might say like Shaw does at one point, I don't even want to see him. When you wrote The Life I'm In, now that's a 20-year break between The Skin I'm In, which actually when you read both of them, they're just as current today as they would have been 20 years ago. When you decided to write about Char, what made you decide to bring in the web of human trafficking? Did you have other journeys that you could have taken her on? What made you choose that one? You know, I guess there's possibly other journeys I could have taken her on. I had, like a lot of people, been reading about human trafficking, ears, you know, sort of pricked and listening to TV news that there was sort of this uptick. And so it was way in the back of my head. Somebody asked me, would I ever do a follow-up to the skin I'm in? And my first response was no. And it's been no for 20 years. <laughs> um, but if I ever did, it will be about Charlize Jones and human trafficking. And I guess that was the moment because that day I went home and I started writing and I started researching. I started talking to someone who had been trafficked, talking to police officers, digging through State Department records, United Nations records. What is it? How does it happen? You know, how does it show up in the planet? What are people doing about it? Well, and the way that you write the stories, I mean, in, in just the role that you play in teens' lives, they look at you as the sister, the aunt, the grandmother, the mother that maybe they're missing or they've been looking for all along. And you do that just with your presence and the way that you write. You know, thank you. I, I really, I love that you say that. And I've heard this from people before. And these are all sorts of readers, right? They are African-American, you're Latinx, they might be gay or trans. Um, they're like in this country. They're not in this country. Recently, I heard from a girl who's from Africa and very, very fair, and she was being teased because of bullying. And so, in the, as a matter of fact, we're going to be talking in a couple of days. She's now living in the States, and she said, I just want to tell you how much this, this skin I'm in really meant to me. And I mentioned that it just got published in Italian, but the life I'm in just got purchased to be published in Italian. People in Europe will be able to read both of those books together. We look at teens that are struggling and going through some really, really tough life situations. Is adults that maybe haven't experienced those things looking at those youth and some people want to discard them, not really see them or be curious about them. Those kids are just trying to survive. They've been dealt a hand that they had no part in, and they're just doing what they can to survive. And I think sometimes we forget about that. Those are just some skills. They're just trying to make it through and not understanding well, they're what trying, they're trying to make it through. Well, exactly. And when it comes to human trafficking, again, they are the victims. And it's easy for predators to find young people who are on the margins of society in the way who might be homeless. Um, there was a University of Chicago study, I think, from 2017 or 18, that says there's 4.2 million homeless teens in America any day or in some state of homelessness. They might be couch surfing, and sometimes we don't always see that as homelessness. But if you're going from one couch to the other couch to the other couch at your friend's house, okay, that's a form of homelessness. And so when you have that huge number of people who don't have a place to rest their head, who don't have enough food or don't have enough money or not being educated, then they're vulnerable to people who spot them and say, 
Okay. And not just strangers. I want to say that again. It is not always strangers. Many, many of these people are people that might know know these victims but have some sort of access to them. Your level of trust might go up if if you're hungry and you're and you're and or you're starving or you're cold out there. And so we have to sort of make a decision as a society, they're all our children. I am my brothers, my sisters, my neighbors, keeper. I have some responsibility and how that responsibility plays out will look differently. Part of my responsibility in that regard is that I write books like The Skin I'm In, that I write books like The Life I'm In and other sorts of books that get teenagers thinking and reading and engaged and believing that, okay, wait a minute, I'm not, maybe I'm not by myself. Maybe there is a way, maybe there's a solution here that I never even thought about. What a journey you've been on, Sharon. I mean, just the work, the voice, being available, the awards that you've won, bringing all of this to light. What's next for you? What's, what's the next journey for Sharon G. Flake? Well, you know, I just turned in a third novel in this series. And it's from one of the boys' perspectives from the skin I'm in. I just did a um, a crossing my fingers. (laughs) The ink is not dry. Contracts should be coming for a picture book that I've uh, written. And I have another picture book that I'm about to send to my agent today or tomorrow. And thinking about something historical to write. So I'm still here. I'm still writing. I'm still loving the fact that I was blessed enough to be able to do this and to connect with teens and uh, watch them grow up. So now there are a lot of them are grown and they're floating around the planet, living all over the place and writing me back and telling me how my work has impacted their life and they're buying the skin I'm in for sure for their their babies already. So They're just being passed from generation to generation. These books stand the test of time for sure. And I appreciate the opportunity to speak with you again, to congratulate you on your award, the Kirkus Prize, the Young Readers Finalist. What a prestigious award. The opportunity to speak to you, especially January, Human Trafficking Month. Just bringing that awareness again and then sharing your work with our listeners is it's been a true pleasure and honor for me. Well, thank you, Dawn. I really appreciate it. I just wanted to leave folks with the National Human Trafficking Hotline number in case people know someone who's been trafficked or they suspect or they have questions, which is one eight 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 three seven three seven eight eight eight. Well, again, Sharon, it's been a pleasure. Where can we go to find your books and learn more about you and your work? You know, you can buy them at most bookstores around the country. If you can't find them, you can go online. But you would also reach out to me at SharonGFlake.com. That's my website. Well, again, it's a pleasure and honor. I hope to speak to you again soon. Thank you. Thank you so much, Dawn. I appreciate it. Hey, thanks again for listening to the Dawn Newton podcast. And a special thank you to the multi-award-winning author, Sharon G. Flake, for shedding the light on human trafficking. If you know or suspect someone is being trafficked, or if you have questions, call the National Human Trafficking Hotline at 1-888-373-788. And if you would like to know more about Sharon G. Flake and her work, her website is SharonGFlake.com. And be sure and check out my website, DawnNewton.org. The Don Newton Podcast is written, produced, and hosted by Don Newton. Come on, come on.